0: everybody, welcome to another episode of The Buyer's Market. I'm very excited to be joined by Jill Robbins today. Jill is president of Business Fears, has an incredible story, and also does a lot more than just consulting. She also is an entrepreneur with her husband. And so she has great perspective, not only from the buyer side, but from the seller side. And uh, she specializes in helping salespeople engage with buyers better, which for our audience, that's a great thing to know. Jill, welcome.
1: Thank you, Matthew. Happy to be here.
0: All right, so I don't wanna to talk too much in the beginning because as I said, you do have such a great story and uh, and I, we've talked a little bit offline. So I'd like you to actually start from the very beginning of your story because it's so fascinating. I think people are really gonna uh, gonna get some value out of it. So with that, Joe, why don't you tell us how you got started?
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I kinda, I had, um, you know, my early career was pretty interesting. Um, And I've always kind of been entrepreneurial. I think as you get older, you reflect back and you're like, wow, I didn't realize, you know, um, how much tenacity um, and drive I had, but I've worked for a very long time. Um, You know, I started teaching golf lessons. Um, I've played golf my whole life. And from the time I was 13, 14 years old, I was, you know, running clinics with different um, PGA professionals. And went to college, Um, then I started my career at a small airline and then 9-11 hit and I was escorted to my car by armed security. Um, And, you know, I feel like everything happens for a reason. Um, You know, carrying that cardboard box and then, you know, seeing the American flag, driving down the interstate, you know, over the um, uh, bridges. It was um, a very defining moment, I'd say, in my life. Um, the job market was not good at that time after 9 11. Um, you know, we were going through a lot of different things. I was able to find a, another job, though, pretty quickly um, with a healthcare conglomerate um, here in Indiana. Um, <clears throat> learned the ins and outs of really how to source. Um, never heard of procurement. Um, and I was in information technology at that healthcare conglomerate. and that's where I got my first taste of, hey, I'm really good at this. I can negotiate with suppliers. I know how to run a competitive process, you know, collect those specifications, ask the right questions with the business. Um, then information technology was outsourced to Accenture. Um, I decided at that point in my career, I did not want to be a consultant. So I went to Ingersoll Rand um, from there, had a great boss and mentor, um, was able to source a lot of different indirect spend categories, lead system redesigns, led a productivity tracking initiative. Um, this is back when you know we were still sending purchase orders via fax. We were filing contracts in filing cabinets. Um, you know, a lot of people um, don't remember those days, but um, it was actually quite efficient. We knew where everything was at. Um, <clears throat> and like I said, you know, I, I had a great coach and mentor um, who really gave me autonomy. Um, and I, I sourced categories, you know, interacted with the CFO, um, led a lot of initiatives. Traveled to Mexico. Was responsible for different plants, so it was a great opportunity. From there, I went to Eli Lilly and Company. Um, I was responsible for research and development, um, pharmacovigilance, sourcing. Moved into IT, um, then did purchase to pay. So I led that entire organization. So the entire kind of value chain, as you think of it, um, I really I understand how it works um did gna sourcing i've done lean six sigma i was in corporate finance investment banking lived in excel hell um and you know you know checking those boxes in the corporate world you know um reporting up through finance and i hated my life then but it taught me the value of um you know income sheets balance sheets you know um, forecasts, and that is when my husband and I became entrepreneurs. Um, when I understood the value um, of what businesses um, looked like um, and the cash flows, the valuations. Um, from there, my husband's an attorney by trade. We opened up a, sky, a few Sky Zone indoor trampoline parks. He's continued to do other things. We have a warehouse logistics business as well. Um, So done a lot of different things. Then went to Elanco Animal Health. Um, built a procurement team, indirect procurement team from the ground up. I had people reporting to me on every continent. So I've I've transformed procurement teams, I've built procurement teams, um, I've negotiated with the biggest companies in the world um, from a technology perspective, from a labor perspective, research and development, um, you name it, HR, um, all the big players, you know, in that space, um, PR firms, marketing, So I I truly understand um, how all of the pieces fit together. I know what good looks like um, when it comes to selling, and I know what uh, bad and very bad look like. Um, So now, um, as you had mentioned, Matthew, I took a leave of absence from the corporate world last June, um, and I have been now helping companies who sell to and through procurement and supply chain so, whether they're selling contract labor, um, contingent labor, technology, um, goods and services, um, I, I, I dissect kind of how they're doing it, the feedback that they're receiving. Um, I speak at a lot of sales kickoff meetings. Um, we can dive deep into relationships. I help them to respond to requests for proposals, so RFPs more effectively. Um, so, really, you know, my practice. Um, encompasses any interaction they would have um, with procurement and supply chain. And I teach them how to think like the business, um, which is very different than traditional sales training. Um, We really kind of get inside the head of who they're selling to. And I teach my clients how to become a procurement and supply chain insider.
0: That's awesome, and I, I know I know a lot of people that are listening to this right now in the AEC space are thinking our relationship with supply chain is tenuous at best. Yes. So yes. there's a lot of people that are listening to this that are probably thinking, I really want to meet Jill. So yeah. I have a bunch of follow up questions that we can get to in a second. But if you wouldn't mind, if someone yeah. wants to work with you, how do they get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, just um, you can look me up on LinkedIn, Jill Robbins. Uh, my email is jill at businessfierce com.
0: So connect with Jill. That way, when you do have those problems, you already know who to come to and she can help yep. you out.
1: Yep, uh, absolutely.
0: So I want to go back a little bit in your story because we've, uh, through this podcast, it seems like a lot of people have transitioned into different roles, different careers, and you have done that remarkably and, and now have done that. even. You've leveraged all that to even start your own businesses now, and that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of things for people to learn from that. Uh, what would you say allowed you to be successful in those transitions?
1: Um, you know, <clears throat> hindsight's always 20-20, right? I mean, it, sounds, it all sounds beautiful now, but in the moment, it, it wasn't all beautiful, um, just like anything in life, right? You know, um, there are ups and downs, but I, I think, you know, not being hypercritical of yourself. I mean, the corporate world is a dog-eat-dog world, let's be honest, Right. Um, and just, I'd say, see the big picture, take a step back, um, understand how all of the pieces connect. I'd say my Achilles heel was, I always saw the big picture and I connected a lot of the fragmented pieces within the organizations I worked for in ways that other people didn't. Um, and as a result, I worked too much. I didn't sleep at night, which is not... Unlike anything else, but I just I, I had a unique perspective. I think from being an entrepreneur um, and also seeing all aspects of the value chain. And I encourage people to to do that because um, it will bring you skills and insights um, that if you just work in your silo, you will never see. Um, and every organization is there to create value and to drive efficiency, um, you know, do it in a pragmatic way, let data, you know, tell the story, um, leverage that data. Um, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. There's no job that's below you. There is no task that is above you. Um, and as I've led teams, built teams, um, I was always part of the team. I was, not this, you know, figurehead whatsoever. Um, they could pull me into any project. I didn't mind getting my hands dirty. Um, so I'd say that would be my, my best coaching. Um, and you know, seek out mentors, not just within your own organization, but you know, entrepreneurs, um, people that <clears throat> any successful businessman or businesswoman um, has failed a hundred times before they've gotten to where they're at. And don't view those failures or those screw-ups as, you know, just what they are. I mean, those are actually gifts that you can learn from, because if you're not screwing up, you're not trying new things.
0: (laughs) Well said. And I want to highlight something you said in the beginning, too. It's it always looks good in hindsight. I think yeah. I, I, I mentor. I'm fortunate to mentor quite a few people, and mm-hmm. it, it's tough sometimes, especially younger people because they haven't been through it before. And so when they're going through that first tough period, it's people can get so dejected and shut down. And it's yes. they look at someone else, and they might look at Jill, who's so successful, and think I'll never be able to be as successful as Jill. She's got it all put together. When you're hearing from someone like Jill that in that moment it doesn't feel good, and it's not <laughs> always pretty. You just get through it, right? <laughs>
1: you do. Yeah. I mean. There's been uh, plenty of glasses of wine and um, uh, four-letter words along the way, um, but, you know, you, you just have to be resilient um, and learn from it.
0: Awesome. Um, another thing that that you would mentioned is uh, doing um, doing invoicing through uh, through faxes, which I think is 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 very interesting to me because we were actually doing that in construction as late as like two thousand. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: there's still companies today that I I work with that do that. Yes,
0: uh, yeah. So. Yeah um how you've you've rode the digital revolution in a lot of ways right so you you went to very analog to now it sounds like some of the things you're involved in are very digital facing a lot of metrics a lot of numbers you're generating good information what has that transition been like is, and is do you think there's anything that's missing now that we've gone more digital
1: um yeah the thing i would say matthew that people, you know, everything is a, you know, bright, shiny object. I am a firm believer in automation and digital transformation um, and leveraging the power of data, but get the basics right. So, you know, define your roadmap, um, define what good data governance looks like um, at the metadata level. Um, connect processes, eliminate processes when they can be eliminated, um, you know, allow systems to talk to one another. Everyone thinks that they need you know, the, the big SAP solution or the big Oracle solution, or you know, name you know your flagship product. Um, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. There is a reason why there are niche solutions, um, that are agile and then you can feed into, you know, your core ERP or your core finance system. Um, so don't shy away from that. I mean, I I would say that that is the future. Um, and then, you know, like I said, leveraging the RPA, the AI, RPA is robotic process automation. AI is artificial intelligence. Um, and it's garbage in garbage out so you know you've got to define your rules um and nobody wants to take the time to do that and then a year down the road you've got all of these beautiful you know um, reports um and visualizations but if you don't trust that basic and that core data that's coming in and producing all of those beautiful reports um what's the point
0: yeah and I, unfortunately, I, I, I see that quite a bit, too, and in a lot of different realms. You know, people, I, everyone wants to gravitate towards numbers, but the output isn't that relevant if the input's not, right? Yes. Um, I think you garbage in, garbage out. It, um, so how important do you think it is when you're going through an effort like that for a supply chain leader? You know, mm-hmm. you're at the director level, probably maybe even senior director level. How, how deep in the details do you have to get to make sure that's correct?
1: As deep as you can go, I mean, you have to get down to the, I mean, (laughs) it all starts, I mean, with the basic inputs, I mean, piece, part number, you know, line items, um, depending on what, you know, business you're in, you know, you mentioned engineering, construction, I mean, all of those specifications um, are great, but you need to digitize all of that information, otherwise it's not reportable, and then you're, you're back to square one. Um, and then you're going back to the source document and trying to find that. Um, so, you know, I'd say dissecting every, you know, relevant piece of information um, from, you know, a specification or a part number, or what, you know, whatever it is, um, quality metric, um, you know, you need to define all of that to be able to report it. And, um, you know, in my world, you know it's all about how do you drive that contract compliance. So you know, from a buyer's perspective and you know a seller, um, how do you deliver above and beyond what the contract calls for? Define those key performance indicators. As you're submitting your invoices, provide that detail. Here's how we're performing against the contract. I can't tell you how many, Sales individuals who have been selling for decades and decades have never read a contract um, with their client. Um, and they're selling to publicly traded companies. They've never listened to an earnings call. I mean, I'm like, you shouldn't have you shouldn't be in the position you're in. I mean, some of these things are table stakes, and yet they are just after the next, you know, quota or the next target. Um, and it's really critical to take a step back, um, and understand what's important. Am I following my client's supplier code of conduct? Um, you know, just these basic things and, you know, I kind of, I call it hygiene, um, but just have a dashboard and understand, you know, where you're performing, how you're performing, am I following the rules, um. And that will get you much further and the ability to upsell downstream um, than you ever thought possible.
0: Great advice. I I want to uh, I'm going to come back to I call it lazy selling and lazy yeah. marketing when people yeah. don't do their due diligence. It's super frustrating. I- <clears throat> I yep. want to come back to that, but I want to go back and understand a little bit more. So for specialty services, when you're talking about engineering and construction, what are supply chain leaders, look like? what metrics are important there and how are you evaluating in some of these companies where they might not buy, they might buy construction services once a year, maybe, yeah. maybe once every couple of years, how are, how are they evaluating that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it, it depends of course on the project. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's around the timeline, it's around the quality, um, it's around you know, availability of supply, of course, which is a conversation you can't get away from um, no matter what industry you're in, right? Um, and you know, it, it's thinking and acting like an owner. Um, that's something that I've talked about before, but you know, you, treat it like it's your business um, so as you're selling or as you're collecting competitive bids in this space, um, you know, ask some of those tough questions um, so that you know you're standing out amongst your competition. Um, you know, there, I don't. There's no secret sauce, right? I mean, it, it's really about the basics, but it's defining and holding each other accountable to those. You know, like I said, those KPIs. Um, and when it's the timeline and then understanding, OK, well, if we don't have this material or if we don't have this product by X date, what's the alternative? Can we work in a different area um, just because that's the reality we live in um, and it's it's going to happen. Something's going to get delayed. Not everything is going to go according to schedule or according to spec.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Um. I, I want to now let's talk about the lazy selling and lazy marketing. Cause uh <laughs> unfortunately I think we see that quite a bit. And um, um I don't know where, I, I think it may be coming from tech. I'm not really sure, but it seems like this volume based sales game is what more people are gravitating to dial yep. as many times as you can send yep. as many emails. And we're going to measure that thinking that generates results. And mm-hmm. I, I think that leads to lazy outreach. I know even people that reach out to me, I get five or six messages a day on LinkedIn and it's, Hey, have, could we schedule 30 minutes with me? Will you do this? I have no idea what you do, who you are, and you have done no due diligence on what I do. It's just so lazy. Um, yeah. How hard is it for someone to overcome that?
1: <laughs> huh, I get them too. I mean, I think it's LinkedIn is uh, very interesting, um, you know, with Sales Navigator and, you know, you've got the criteria and um, people are so generic, right? And I would just coach people, um, don't be one of those, um, pests. (laughs) I'll call them, um, and do your homework. I mean, because you never know when that, you know, seven figure, eight figure deal is going to come through. Um, and it could be from one of those reach outs, but do your homework and, Present your value proposition um, and tie it to what that person is doing. And so many people, you know, I, I'm a multifaceted entrepreneur um, doing multiple things. Um, and people are reaching out to me, you know, selling digital technology or something that doesn't even relate to what I'm doing. And um it, it's just it's very interesting how generic, um, like you say, how lazy. Um, and it doesn't take that much time just to check out someone's website or read their bio or just say, hey, do you have time for a 10 minute conversation so we can get to know each other better? Um, that's fine. Um, but don't just send over, you know, all this literature and, you know, a sales pitch without truly understanding um, what the person does. And when you're selling to enterprise, too, I mean, I know when I'm managing billions of dollars in spend um, you know, I get these cold emails, you know, the the clicks on LinkedIn all the time. Um, understand, you know, like I said, if it's a publicly traded company, listen to the most recent earnings call, understand what investors are asking, understand what the executives priorities are, you know, where their focus is, you know, are they trying to increase margin? Well, how do you tie your solution or your good or service to help them you know drive sales increase operating efficiency or digital transformation you know whatever it is um but make it relevant um don't just be you know you know joe blow um who's sending you know another generic message
0: yeah i i, I question how much that were it must work to it some must. degree i guess because it's it seems like there's more of it or or there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of marketers selling bad strategies, which I also think there is some of that, too. It's, yeah. um, you know, when you talk to the tech platforms, they're going to tell you the best way to reach people is to do this and to do that. And it's that's the best way for you to spend more ad money on their platform. I don't know if that's the best way for your customers to consume your content. Um, and I I think it's almost even worse in marketing because. In marketing, you're not talking to one person. You're talking to hundreds, thousands of people with this terrible message that's all self-centered. Um, yes. Is there any uh, is there any type of marketing material that is interesting for a buyer? Uh, how important is how important is someone's online presence when you're evaluating when you're evaluating a new vendor that you've never met before?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know you you want your website to be relevant. You want to have, you know, competitive information um, available, you know, I I always say white papers, you know, stories are critical, Um, how you have helped people in different um, verticals um, so that, you know, you are credible um, Mm -hmm. and your solution or your service or your good um, is credible. Um, So, spend time there and, you know, I think, you know, like you and I talked about offline, it's those testimonials um, from existing or previous clients and how you were able to help them, um, you know, achieve a goal or a transformation um, and, and talk about that. Um, and, you know, get down to, you know, percentages and dollar figures. So that it's translatable to their business. Yeah.
0: Um, so going again, analog to digital. How mm-hmm. much? How much more? How much more do buyers self perform research now that all that information is available versus when <laughs> you probably were relying on a salesperson? Has that changed, mm-hmm. or is it still a lot relying on the salesperson? Not as much research.
1: Well, I think, you know, you've always got, you know, the foresters, the gardeners the you know, depending on what you're buying, Mm -hmm. um, you have this information out there. But I always encourage people to do their own independent research um, because these platforms and, you know, are pay to play. um, Mm -hmm. And it's it doesn't matter. You, You can hire McKinsey. You can hire Deloitte. You can hire. They are all getting paid by various companies um, to prop up solutions um, so yeah. due diligence like we talked about is um, very very critical um, and hearing it from the horse's mouth and people who have actually worked in the platform understand um, you know how it works and how it would fit into their infrastructure model and to their digital transformation strategy um, is critical Don't Believe every report that's out there. Not saying all reports are bad, um, but they're usually sponsored by somebody, um, <laughs> and people are paid paying to get placed in certain quadrants um, in these reports.
0: You, you're the first person I've talked to that has. I don't even know if everyone realizes that that oh. these big that these big research companies are mostly paid by. Other companies that are trying to obviously facilitate some sort of message through a third party. And there's a lot of – marketers have a lot of success with that strategy. And I I honestly think it's because people don't know that that stuff's paid for. They think, oh, McKinsey must make money on something, right? Consulting ads. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Wake up, people. Yeah, no. (laughs) Uh, I've known it – yeah, I mean, I've been doing this a long time and that is – I mean – we can have a whole conversation on that topic. <laughs> uh, I,
0: I won't, dra- I won't drag you into that. I won't drag okay. you into that, but you probably work with some of those vendors too. So, <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so uh, there's a, there's a, there's a couple questions here. I kind of always like to ask at the end, just to, uh, just to, uh, to, and maybe some good stories. Um, what's the worst thing a potential supplier has done to reach out to you or to one of your clients?
1: The worst thing to reach out, um, you know. I, I think just like the daily emails or the daily phone calls or you know the um, voice. You know, you can, I mean it hasn't happened now in over I don't know I've lost track of time. But before, when you would meet people at a conference or you would meet people, you know, um, and get an initial dog and pony. Um, you know, just those brutal follow-ups. Just stop that. I mean, because procurement supply chain, you've got to understand they are working with hundreds, if not thousands of suppliers. um, And you want to differentiate yourself as a trusted partner and a solution provider. Um, Just stop with that. I mean they become telemarketers. I can't tell you, I I have hundreds of phone numbers blocked in my cell phone with telemarketers. I mean, and these uh, potential buyers, they will block you in their email and they will block you from their phone. Um, So, you know, make it meaningful, make it impactful, make it personal um, and listen because supply chain and procurement are a wealth of knowledge. If people would just zip their mouth and ask some open-ended questions. They could learn a whole hell of a lot about what's going on across the enterprise.
0: It's tough to do that when you walk in the room and roll out your 50 slide PowerPoint yeah. talking about how great you are, but that it's tough yeah. to get to that. What, What? okay, now customer, we have five minutes left. Tell us about your business.
1: <laughs> no, you. yeah, before even coming in, I mean, that, again, I feel like that's table stakes. You should never come in with a canned deck. I mean, you should always just have like a 15, 30 minute uh, conference call and understand what the priorities are, understand what the challenges are, understand why they're not happy with who they're currently working with. You know, just some of the basic due diligence um, and then target that. And your 50, you know, slide presentation, probably should be 20 or less and then you know, let's let's talk about some real solutions.
0: Yeah. Um, so in this digital world, and understanding that people that buyers are performing more research, what do you think is the best way for for um, potential suppliers to interact with their buyers?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you always there's always you know they buy lists and contact lists, right? You're, you're never going to get away from that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think building a strong reputation and delivering value um, truly goes a long way. Continuity of supply, right? Especially now, quality of supply. Um, you know, there's a unique group called Procurement Foundry. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've heard of them, but it's a essentially a a group of enterprise buyers at all size organizations across all industries. It's global. Um, And they just, they share category intelligence. They share um, best practices. And the more that um, suppliers can get educated on different verticals and potential targets, the better off they'll be. Um, so you know, just getting educated on what's critical um, to your clients or your potential clients.
0: Yeah, that that's interesting too. The uh, the group that you mentioned, because I think that highlights another point that um, the supplier, the vendor, you don't have all the information and the power anymore. People have the ability to communicate with each other. People yes. have the ability to get this information in a way like no like never before, and um i see companies trying to execute old strategies where they're trying to hoard the knowledge and make people have to pay for any little bit piece of information you get and to me that's a miscalculation i think now more than ever it's it's 100 honesty and transparency is the only way you're going to win because there's no more dark rooms you can't no. you can't hide anymore to your point you're sharing information now i'm telling you this is this and then you're talking to one of your counterparts and no that's not what we're paying for this or that's not what we negotiated and then now, how is that buyer supposed to trust you when you just yes. told them this stuff and they were able to prove that you weren't being honest in a matter of days? I mean, I, I don't know how you recover from something like that either.
1: No, yeah, there is a really strong community, very transparent, um, and uh, what I, I, I coach my clients, that uh, sourcing, procurement, supply chain professionals, they talk to one another across industries, you know, uh, uh, around the world, people are connected now more than ever, you know, whether you're in procurement sourcing supply chain, and whether it's pricing, whether it's, you know, KPIs, terms and conditions, incentives, um, you know, with marketing contracts and PR contracts, it's, you know, you want the supplier to have skin in the game. So these buyers are sharing all of this information um, around best practices around kpis that they're using um, around competitive bid processes Um, and this is you know done globally so you know if as a seller you're going to throw you know this pie in the sky proposal or bid across the table um, just know that it will be smoked out Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not in your best interest to do something like that because you may have lost a client for life.
0: Yeah, I, I, I never understand the let's try and get a little bit more margin game. It's yep. it, it, it I, I feel like it never works and you end up in yep. such a bad situation. Yep. Um, so last couple things here, uh, before we ask you about your routines and habits, um, I've noticed a trend where more people are working at least partially remote. And we've had the theory that that's going to affect the buyer-seller relationship and make it more difficult for Mm. old methods where it's, hey, I'm going to show up and take you to lunch, and I'm going to try and take you out to dinner. Uh, I feel like that's changing, and people aren't really talking about it. Do you agree with that? And if you you don't agree, please tell me why you don't. If you do agree, if you could elaborate a little bit on what that would look like, I'd appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I mean, life as we know it has changed. I don't know that we'll ever get back to quote unquote, you know, normal butts in seats and, you know, these large corporate buildings. I I always think there's going to be an element of remote working um, because productivity hasn't suffered. Um, And frankly, people are getting more. Um, But in terms of, you know, the buyer seller relationship, I think it depends on where you're at and kind of personal preferences. I still meet people for coffee. You know, I still meet people for lunch. Um, But, I I think that you have to, again, go through the due diligence process um, and understand your value proposition relative to your competition. You should know your competition. You should do your homework. You should know, you know, who the company is currently using um, in your specific category or commodity. Um, So, you know, I, I think that people, sellers need to up their game in that respect, Um, but yeah, I think remote working is definitely here to stay. Um, it's not the same as having a face-to-face conversation right over Zoom, um, as in a conference room or, you know, at a coffee shop. Um, but, you know, I, I think it can be done. Um, like I said, I've managed teams globally, remote teams for years, um, and we've all been very successful. So I, I don't view it um, as a hindrance. Um, in fact, I think that it it can actually drive a lot of productivity and innovation.
0: yeah, i I, I agree with that assessment too. Um, and I, I've experienced it and seen it myself. The thing the people who I think are gonna suffer are business development people that are relying on that where oh yeah, um, that kind of lazy, we'll call it lazy sales, right? I'm gonna show up and because you have to be in the at this place for nine hours a day, you're gonna want to leave with me for lunch because you have nothing else to do versus, now, where it's like, I don't really know how you add value. I'm, I can have coffee with these people that I know and or can help me versus I, I, I think those days where people just want a free lunch or oh, yeah. I don't know if they're completely gone, but they're going yeah. away.
1: <laughs> well, the, I mean, the games of golf and the fancy dinners and I mean, people just they want to be home. They don't want to spend hours with, you know, out. It's just it's a different time.
0: Yeah. And it's I. Uh, and and, and I'm sure, especially depending on how old you are too, and what your family situation is like, it's, you know, when I'm home, i I want to be here with my wife and son. I don't want to be going out to dinner with someone that is trying to hard sell me something.
1: No, exactly.
0: (laughs) Not not how I want to spend my Wednesday evening.
1: No, definitely not. Right. (laughs)
0: Uh, all right. Well, this has been a great discussion. I think that, uh, the, the, our listeners are going to gain a lot of useful information and hopefully the people that are listening to this, listen to Jill, take this information and become more buyer centric. Because if you don't become buyer centric, you will continue to struggle. You will struggle more and you will be laughed by your competitors that actually are buyer centric. And one warning to all of our listeners, you see how smart Jill is. You can't pretend to be buyer centric. You actually have to be buyer centric. And if you are, you just have to trust that the process is going to work out. And if you're not, that will be sniffed out.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, and be patient. Yeah, you have to have patience and, you know, reach out to me. I'm happy to help. Um, you know, I love what I do. Um, I, I feel like I have a much different perspective um, than traditional sales trainers. Um, I don't tell my clients what they want to hear. Um, you're hiring me to, to help you um, and to grow your business, um, improve client relationships. Um, and, and that's what we do.
0: Awesome. So please connect with Jill. Check out Business Fears. I've been through some sales training. I wish that I would have gone through this sales training because when I was in sales, I I didn't know how to interact with buyers very well. And that is more (laughs) apparent the more buyers I speak to. so we always end with this, and I'm really excited to hear this from you. We ask all of our successful guests what is their most impactful routine or habit. That way, our listeners can try and glean something. And I know we've this is our seventh or so episode, and mm-hmm. I have picked up a habit from almost everyone that I've integrated with my life. So, um, if you would share with your most impactful routine and habit,
1: most impactful routine and habit. Um, I I work out every day i think you know just being healthy um Mm -hmm. is powerful because it clears your mind you know and we all you know have mental blocks um go out for a walk you know take a break because your best ideas um you know and it's unpopular belief but is usually away from the screen and away from your phone um so just you know put it down um find quiet time, you know, whether that's Bible study or meditation, you know, whatever for me, you know, I do daily Bible studies. Um, and like you said, Matthew, you know, spending time with your family and, um, prioritizing, but, um, definitely get in a good sweat, um, several times a week, um, is, you know, a priority eating healthy, um, is, is critical. So, you know, Challenge yourself to, I'd say, you know, get out of your comfort zone because um, you're not going to grow doing the same thing over and over again.
0: Great, great advice. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of people here that are listening that tell themselves they don't have time to do this. And so Jill yeah. has a family, multiple businesses, and she still yeah. finds time to prioritize these things that are important. So don't yeah. quit telling yourself excuses.
1: Do it. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Thank you very much, Jill. It's been great having you.
1: Yeah, thanks, Matthew.